Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Today we're in uh, our series through the book of Acts. And uh, in the story so far, we've seen Jesus tell his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. He'd given them a mission to go make disciples, but then he said, don't start yet, just wait. Wait for me, wait for the Holy Spirit to come, and then the Holy Spirit's gonna come in power. And then he said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where you're at, and in Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But for right now, just wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. Do you like waiting? Nobody really likes waiting, do you? And and can you imagine if you had spent three years of your life, maybe upwards of four years of your life, with Jesus doing ministry, and then he gave you some things to do, and then you saw him ascend into heaven, and you're thinking, I gotta get on this. This is fantastic. This is awesome. But what's Jesus say? Wait, wait. You know, sometimes we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we don't wait, can't we? You know, and uh, we we sense God has something for us to do and we wanna see it happen and we wanna get involved, but sometimes we just need to wait and wait for the Spirit's timing. Like we sang this morning, to stay in step with the Spirit, not ahead of him, not behind him, but with him. And that's what the disciples are doing here. They're waiting and we read in chapter one, there's about 120 of them, Luke tells us. And what they're waiting for is the spirit to come. And now here we are in Acts chapter two, where we see that God sends the Holy Spirit. God sends the Holy Spirit. And so we're gonna gonna look at this text this morning and look at what happened and uh, some implications for our own lives and our own church. Uh, But before we do that, let me pray. And then uh, we're gonna ask the spirit who has come to help us uh, know more about this event where he first came to the church. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Uh, Lord, thank you, uh, Jesus, that you uh, accomplished our salvation on the cross. You lived a perfect life, yet you paid the penalty for sin and died on the cross in my place, in our place. But then as you ascended, you didn't leave us alone. You sent your spirit and your spirit uh, empowers us then to, to live the life that, that you've given to us. So um, Lord, would you teach us today? Holy Spirit, would you be, uh, be honored and, uh, and uh, rightly represented here as I teach your word? Uh, reveal to me and, and speak to and through me as, as I preach and teach your word. Lord, let us leave changed in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, let's just pick it up here in Acts chapter two. If you got your Bible, you can turn there with me. Acts chapter two, starting in verse one, here's what we read. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Well, we really need to stop there for a second and talk, what is 
Pentecost. What is this? Well, uh, Pentecost is uh, one of seven different festivals that God ordained for his people in the Old Testament. And of those, there were three that were major feasts. The first one uh, was Passover. Uh, Passover pointed to Jesus' atoning work on the cross for our sin. And, and uh, it's in Exodus, right? It remembers the event of Exodus where God's wrath passed over his people. And in the same way, God's wrath passes over us in Jesus' work on the cross and it lands on Jesus on the cross. And he satisfies God's wrath for my sin when I trust him, you see? So Passover remembers that. And by the way, each of these three major feasts, during these three major ones, all of the native-born male Israelites who were devout were to pilgrimage to Jerusalem and, and so that they could worship in the temple during these times, three times a year. And uh, you're thinking, man, that's a long ways to go. Well, it'd be kind of like going to Indianapolis from here, like if you lived in Galilee. The nation of Israel is about half the width of Indiana and about the same uh, distance, north and south. And so it'd be like uh, about that far of a journey, which before you had a car would still be a pretty good journey, wouldn't it? And, and so that's where they go. They, they pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. Well, then uh, 50 days later, there's another event called Pentecost, or it's often called, we're gonna talk about this in a moment, the festival of weeks. And this one pointed to God as the provider of all things and the one who deserves the first fruits of all things. We're gonna come back to this. The third major feast that, that they would celebrate and have to go to Jerusalem for was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Have you, you heard of some of these before? Maybe you're not sure what all they are, but maybe you've heard of them. The Feast of Tabernacles happened about four months after Pentecost in the fall. Passover is March, April, Pentecost is May, June. Uh, and then the Feast of Tabernacles is like September, October, like right now, actually, this time of year. And at this point, uh, or at this festival, this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles or booths or tents, sometimes it's called, uh, celebrated God's promise to dwell among his people. And so at the Feast of Tabernacles, people would make these little booths or these little tents to live in and be reminded that this place is temporary and that God is coming to dwell with us and to take us to a permanent home. And it remembered how uh, when, they, when the people of Israel moved from Egypt to the promised land, they, they lived in temporary places on their way there. By the way, just a random aside that really has nothing to do with this message, but you might find interesting, is that many scholars believe Jesus was born during this time, not December 25th, like is usually celebrated. Uh, in fact, uh, John, in the opening of his gospel, what's he say? The, the word became what? Flesh, and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He put up his tent among us. And it's believed that Jesus probably was born during this time of year. So when you walk into Lowe's this week and you see all the Christmas decorations up, they're more biblical than they realize. <laughs> Just saying. All right, let's get back to this though and let's talk about uh, Pentecost because that's really the big one for today. Pentecost is what's happening. So let's, let's understand what is this festival of Pentecost? Well, um, it was celebrated, I mentioned, 50 days after Passover. And it was a, a feast that was celebrated at the wheat harvest, included a, a first fruits offering to God. And it's rooted, uh, all of these festivals are rooted in the events of 
Exodus. Passover is when God's wrath passed over them in the 10th plague and God frees them from the hand of Pharaoh. Well, then 50 days later, look at what it says in Exodus 19. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. By the way, if you don't know the biblical story, it's okay, but the long and short of it is God's people were slaves in Egypt for 400 years and God miraculously rescues them and they cross the Red Sea, right? And, and so after he rescued them, three new moons later, is that how you count time? Me neither. Basically, that's about seven weeks, about seven weeks. About seven weeks later, they, they leave Egypt and they, they go out and they arrive in the wilderness of Sinai. Well, at Sinai, there's a mount there and, and something incredible happens at Mount Sinai seven weeks approximately after they left Egypt, about 50 days later. And God tells Moses when they get there, hey, pay attention, because I'm gonna come to you in a visible way and you're gonna know it's me. Because like there's, there's gonna be a lot of loud noises, there's going to be a cloud and my presence is gonna descend right there and everybody's gonna see it and it's gonna be obvious to everyone that I'm here. And this place that, that is gonna be there, this, this mountain, it's a, it's a holy place, it's set apart so don't let anybody come too close. And uh, later in Exodus, after this happens, when God's presence descends on Mount Sinai, here's what it's described to look like. There's the appearance of the glory of the Lord. It was, it was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of all the people of Israel. It, it, was, it was like a fire. I mean, what do you think of when you think of a mountain and fire? You think of a volcano, at least I do. This is, this is a volcano in Mexico in 2015, Kalima. And it was erupting. And Sinai is basically a reverse volcano. Instead of a fire coming up from the mountain, it was coming down to the mountain. And, and it was like a devouring fire where it was just rolling and just powerful. And God did this in the presence of everybody so that they could see he's here. And he warned the people, don't come too close. Don't come too close. So uh, that's, Pentecost is celebrating this event that happens 50 days after they leave Egypt, where God descends. And what happens here in this moment is he gives Moses the law and he tells them how they're supposed to live now that they go into the land. How are they supposed to live? God gives them some rules so that it goes well for them. And this is 50 days after Passover. Well, now let's fast forward to Acts 2 because that's the passage we're looking at this morning. We read in verse one, it was Pentecost. They're celebrating the fact that God came 50 days after the Passover to deliver the law. And when he came on that day at Mount Sinai, there was power and there was loud noises and thunder and there was fire and God's presence was clearly there. And then in Acts chapter two, on the day you're remembering all those things and celebrating that, like you have maybe every year of your life, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Does that sound familiar? It's a lot like Sinai, where God spoke with peals of thunder and there was loud noises when he came. And it, it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now notice, this is really important. It says it was like a mighty rushing wind. It doesn't say there was like this big wind that rushed in on them, you know, and like their hair's blowing. 
it, it was just a sound like it. I mean, if, if Luke had written this today, this was before freight trains. Maybe he would have written, it was a sound like a freight train. It was like a tornado blowing through. I mean, it was, it was so loud. And it filled the house where they were sitting. They were in the upper room, likely maybe even the same place that Jesus had celebrated the Passover with them 50 days prior. And then uh, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. There's some big connections here to Sinai, isn't there? At Sinai, God's presence comes in power and loudly and visibly like fire descending on the mountain. And now, later, uh, God's presence comes with a loud sound and, and these tongues, again, not, not tongues of fire, but as of fire, just, that's just what it looked like. And, and divided among all of them and landed on each one. See, at Sinai, God came and that place was made holy. In Acts 2, God comes and his people are made holy. See, in the Old Testament, you have places that are holy. You know, specific, uh, like a a sanctuary or a a temple or the tabernacle. But guess what happens after this? No more holy places, holy people. God comes and his presence lands on each one. And it's a clear representation and a tie-in back to what happened at Sinai, but now it's people. And his holy presence has come among us. And it's a monumental moment in history where God's doing something new. And his presence is manifest here. See, all over in the Bible where you see God's presence show up, there's, there's fire a lot of times. There's often uh, loud noises when he's doing something incredible and new. And that's what's happening here is God's presence is manifest when the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit today, friends, he is the primary manifestation of God's active presence in the world. It's the Holy Spirit, it's what he does. He, he, he manifests God's presence here among us. And what does he do? Well, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He, he always bears witness about Jesus. When the helper comes, Jesus said, he will bear witness about me. In other places, Jesus says in that same passage, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. And uh, when he comes, uh, he comes to dwell within us. Now it's not a place that we have to go to worship, but, but God's presence dwells in us, God himself. We're now the temple. You, you and I individually and, and you and I corporately. That's where God's spirit dwells. It's a holy people, not a place. And he comes to dwell within us. See, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God's presence shows up here when the Holy Spirit shows up. And one of the things uh, we read about in the New Testament and even earlier in Acts, Jesus says, uh, John, John baptized with water, but in a few days you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptism, baptize is a word that means immerse. It's a Greek word, baptizo. And so to make it an English word, they just said, well, let's go with that. We'll say baptize. And it means to immerse. And when the the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit baptizes us and he baptizes you and I into God's family. 
to immerse, think of it like this. The Holy Spirit comes and he indwells you. It's kind of like if you took a sponge and plunged it in some water, immersed it in the water and then pulled it back up out of the water, what would that sponge be like? It was immersed in the water and now the water indwells the sponge. In the same way, when, when you become a Christian, at the moment you become a Christian, the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And, and it refers to it only on a handful of times, but it refers to it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's one baptism, one time that you become a Christian and you're baptized in the Spirit. Uh, remember, uh, this is what Jesus says, I baptize you, or John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And uh, Paul tells the church in Corinth, for in one Spirit, we were all baptized. All of us who trusted Christ have been baptized into the Spirit. The reason I bring this up is depending on maybe where where you grew up or what kind of church you were a part of in the past, or um, maybe you've heard people talk about the baptism of the spirit and you need to seek that out. And it seems to me that scripture says that the baptism of the spirit is for all who have trusted Christ. Everyone receives that. See, we, we were all baptized into one body and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And, and it's not something extra that you get. It's just, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you when you become a Christian. In, in Ephesians uh, 4, 5 says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, meaning baptism in the Spirit. And uh, however, while there's one baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's multiple or many fillings of the Holy Spirit. See, we're commanded in scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, don't get drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, he comes to indwell you, but him indwelling you isn't the same as you being filled with him and empowered by him. And the, the way you become filled with the Spirit is by remaining in him abiding with Christ. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And so you remain, you abide, you stay close. You, uh, you wait sometimes like the disciples did here in, in Acts chapter two. You pray, you talk to God. That's one way you can remain in him and abide with him. But, but have, a, have a conversation you know, like, don't just, 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 don't just talk to him the whole time. Hear from him, open his word. Let him talk to you. And, and carry on a conversation back and forth. And when you read what he says, respond to him in prayer. Talk to him about what he said. And then gather for worship. Connect with other believers who also have the spirit. Remain in him. Abide in him, be filled. It, John said, by this we know we abide in him. And he in us, because he's given us his spirit. And by the way, what happens then when you abide in the spirit? Do crazy, weird things happen? Here's what happens, fruit happens. Fruit. There's fruit that's born in your life. 
And what is the fruit of the Spirit? It's right here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When the Spirit dwells in you and, and when the Spirit then fills you, this fruit begins to grow in your life. And it manifests itself in your life. And that's the Spirit working in you. See, by God's grace, if you're a Christian, uh, if, you're, if you're abiding in the Spirit, you're, you're growing in each of these areas, aren't you? Growing in love, growing in peace, growing in self-control, growing in all of these things. Right after this, uh, Paul says then, and those who belong to Christ, they've crucified, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so if we live in the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit and grow in these things. So uh, one baptism, many fillings. Now, uh, that's a lot just to throw at you. So let me see if I can illustrate it in a way that might make more sense and be a little more helpful. Um, I brought a few things today. I brought some milk. Hasn't expired yet, that's good. Sometimes it does. Uh, I brought a glass, I brought some chocolate syrup, I brought a spoon. Let's say that this is you, okay? This is your life. And um, you're just a nice tall glass of milk. And you become, I don't know, that's weird, but there you go. You become a Christian and uh, what happens is the Holy Spirit baptizes you and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And he just dwells in you. A little more? That's how I like it. And so you can see the, the Holy Spirit there in you, right? That's the baptism of the Spirit. He's been poured out into your life. That's what Paul said, right? God's love was poured out to you in the Spirit. And he's been poured out into you. But there's, uh, while there's one baptism, there's multiple filling. See, uh, you can be indwelt by the Spirit, but your life might not be very different if you don't abide in Him, if you don't spend time in prayer, if you don't gather together with other believers regularly, like more than, hopefully, more than once every five, six weeks, but regularly on a Sunday morning in your life group, reading His Word regularly. And when you do that, then uh, the Spirit begins to fill you. And now you begin to change and you start to see the evidence of the Spirit filling you. And you become much different. You smell a little different. <laughs> you taste a lot better. <laughs> and you change and the Spirit fills you. Now, if we let this sit long enough, um, maybe some of that syrup would begin to settle back down. And in the same way in our lives, if we, uh, we sin, we uh, turn away from God, we don't gather, we don't pray, we don't read his word. Uh, he's within us. We were baptized, we received him. But in a sense, it's almost as if the spirit steps back and says, well, if you wanna participate with me, then I'm gonna fill you and it's gonna be awesome. But until then, I'm, I'm content here to hang out until you're, you're, you're ready to follow. 
and it just settles back down. And again, you gotta stir it back up, don't you? Have you experienced that to be true in your life? I know I have in mine. And I think that's maybe a helpful way to think of there's one baptism, but many fillings. And continually we need to be filled with the Spirit. And so what we read here in Acts 2 is, and and we're gonna read it through the rest of Acts is, well, first we read that there was, the Holy Spirit came once upon them all, right? But, and you're gonna see the Holy Spirit come on others at different times, but then multiple times in Acts and even throughout the New Testament, you read how the Holy Spirit fills people. And uh, we read that here too. I mean, think about this though, to be filled with the Spirit. Let's say uh, you're gonna get married. And so you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you, you can now learn to live and love in a faithful way. Or maybe you're pregnant or you wanna be parents. And, and so you ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and fill you so that you can have a God-given instinct to parent and love your kids well. Or uh, maybe you're struggling and you're suffering and you're sick, you're hurting, you're, you're asking the Holy Spirit to fill you as a comforter to help you endure through those things that are incredibly hard. Stir it up, read his word, talk to him, be around others. And so at Pentecost, God sends his spirit and then the spirit, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, God's active presence in the world today, uh, he, he then empowers them and fills them. See, God sends his spirit to empower us with good news. That's what he did here in Acts chapter two. Good news being the gospel, and there's different aspects of this. First is true life. Do you know the Spirit gives true life? He gives life, real, abundant life. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says the Spirit gives life. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That's what Jesus said. The Spirit gives life. It's also what Paul says, the letter kills But the spirit, what's he do? He gives life. See, he he empowers us with new, true, eternal life. That's what the spirit does. That's part of the good news that we're empowered with. Uh, Jesus, in talking about this true life, uh, spoke to Nicodemus and he said uh, to him, when Nicodemus asked how I inherit the kingdom, how do I get to the kingdom? Jesus said, well, unless you're born of water and the spirit, born physically of water and of the spirit spiritually, you can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is just flesh. That which is born of the spirit though is spirit. Don't marvel that I've said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. The spirit gives life. See, the reality is that uh, you can't be a Christian apart from having the Holy Spirit come to dwell within you. There's no category for that in scripture. You become a Christian and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You're either born of the spirit or you're not. You either have the spirit, new life, true life, or you don't. It's one or the other. And how do you receive the spirit? How are you born again? Well, you come to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the door. Wondering how to get there? I'm the door. If anybody comes in through me, he'll be saved. The thief comes to steal and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
true life. And Jesus gives us that and it's applied to us by the Spirit. The Spirit applies it to our lives, right? See, he, he saved us not because of works done by us, but according, Jesus did according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then applies the work of Jesus to our lives and he changes us. And if you don't have the Spirit, you're, I'm, I'm sorry, you're not a Christian. And you don't need to pray for the Spirit, you just need to pray and repent and turn to Jesus and then the Spirit's given to you. Then you can pray to be filled with the Spirit that God would work in and through you and use you. By the way, if you've signed up uh, for that text message devotional, how many of you guys have done that? There's a bunch of you that have. If you haven't, that's still available. We'll be for a long time. It's on your insert. You can text helper to that number. And this is one of the things that that devotional speaks to of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He transforms us. He empowers us. And he empowers us with, with gifts. Did you know that? How do I know this? Well, the Bible says if you become a Christian, you receive the Spirit, and then you know what else you get? You get gifts. You get, well, at least you get a gift. I think you get gifts, plural, more than likely. And how do I know this? Well, I found a book, and it's a good one. You might check it out. And here's what it says. It says, to each one, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone who becomes a Christian, you get a gift. You know what that means? Congratulations, you're gifted. How many of you went through school and there was like that gifted and talented program and some of the kids got to leave that you had to stay? Guess what? You're gifted too. You are. You're gifted. If you're a Christian, you are, friend. You're gifted. And in Acts 2, let's, let's see how this works. In Acts 2, there's a gift that's given to the disciples here in Acts chapter 2. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? The Spirit came and it came in, in power, loud noise, like fire, and then they were filled. And they were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The gifts the Spirit gives, he empowers then as we just read in 1 Corinthians, for the common good, for the good of the church. Uh, they were filled, there was a gift given to them. This gift of tongues, this word is glossa, from which we get glossary, right? Or like a meaning, a gloss of a word. And uh, literally it's languages. that began to speak in other languages as the spirit gave them utterance. Well, how do I know those are known languages here in Acts 2? Well, Let's keep reading. In verse five, it says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now think back with me. We've covered a lot so far this morning, but think back when we talked about Pentecost. There were three festivals that uh, devout Israelite men had to travel to Jerusalem for, right? Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. What's going on right now? Pentecost. And so these guys all traveled to Jerusalem, devout men from every nation, every nation under heaven, every nation around them in the known world at the time. And, and when they're there, this, this sound comes and they, they hear all this happening. And the, the sound, the multitude came together and, and they were bewildered because each one who was here from out of town, they were, they were hearing them speak in his own language. 
And they were amazed and they were astonished. And they're like, aren't these guys all Galileans? Aren't some of these ladies from Galilee? Uh, in other words, aren't these rednecks from the sticks? I mean, Galilee was a rural area and it's named after a big lake called Galilee in the middle. It, it's a lot like Wallasee. Big lake, farms around it. And if you're from out of town and you come into town, you might say, these people are from the sticks, but they have a nice lake. That's kind of Galilee. And you might assume then that, well, so how do they speak in my language? Especially in that day, friends, you just need to know there, there weren't a lot of people in this area who were educated from Galilee. There just wasn't that opportunity for them. We kind of joke about them being in the sticks, but that's just the reality of where they were from. They didn't have as much opportunity. Yet suddenly they're speaking in these languages. How is it then that we hear each one of us in his own native language? And they're speaking in perfect dialects even. It'd be like if the next time I go to India, suddenly I get up to preach and I don't need a translator and I just start speaking in Telugu. Or I, I go to lunch and I go to Los Toritos and I order my whole whole order just in fluent Spanish, which I don't speak, which I wish I did. I love that gift. And instead of, you know, ordering a quesadilla, I order a quesadilla and I speak fluently. <laughs> they were speaking real languages here. And then Luke lists them. He says, you know, the Parthians, Medes, the Elamites, residents from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them in our own languages telling the mighty works of God. Wow. They heard them all speaking. If you looked at a modern day map, all of these nations would be like they were coming from Iran and Turkey and North Africa and Crete and Rome and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Syria and other various smaller parts of the Middle East and Israel. And they're all here hearing these Galileans speak in their native language. Speaking of the mighty works of God. See, the spirit gave them an incredible gift in that moment each of them individually. And do you know he does the same for you and I? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are gifted. You have a gift, gifts. If you're a Christian, the spirit gives you gifts. You might be thinking, wow, that's incredible, but I don't quite understand. I mean, because I've never spoken in tongues. I still order quesadillas. <laughs> well, uh, Thankfully, God tells us about how the Spirit gives gifts. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, if you fast forward a little ways in your New Testament, Paul writes this to the church, church there. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, brothers and sisters, I, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to understand how, how this happens and what God does. And he goes on in verse four, he says, now there's a variety of gifts but they're the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there's varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. See, the spirit empowers us with good news, with true life, and he does it with gifts. And, and to each, to each one, 
is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now, next week when you come back, we're gonna spend some time using our gifts and abilities to, to pack meals, right? But we're also gonna spend some time here in the service talking and unpacking more of this in terms of what are the spiritual gifts and what does that look like? But, but today, let me just say a couple things briefly and then we'll build on it next week because Acts 2 brings up some big questions. When we read about tongues especially. So let me just say this first off and pay attention to this, that the spirit will never work in a way that's contrary to the book that he wrote. He won't, he won't. And, and so one of the big questions, and um, maybe we'll unpack this a little more next Sunday as well, but one big one that comes up in Acts 2 is this gift that they have of tongues. In Acts 2, I think it's clearly known languages, right? Because the people are hearing them speak in their own language. But what about in other parts of the New Testament? You get into Corinthians and, and Paul's talking of speaking in a language of, of angels and, and a, a, like a prayer language. What about that? And, and, and by the way, with this gift of tongues, one, which is it? And, and should everyone have it? Does everybody get it? Because the reality is there's some who would say that um, everyone, if you become a Christian, uh, you should receive the gift of tongues. That's what proves you get the Holy Spirit. So it proves it. But what does the Bible actually say? What did we read? What did we read just a little bit ago? Um, or excuse me, what, did, what are we reading here? Let's look at verse eight. Uh, everybody gets a gift, but uh, to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith, same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. These are all gifts that the spirit gives. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. So it could be a known language, it could be prayer language. To, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But notice what Paul says here. To one is given this, to another is given this, to another is given this. What's the constant in here? Not the gift, the spirit. The spirit's the constant. The Holy Spirit is. See, the, the, the answer is shortly that no, according to God's word and the rules laid out for gifts and kind of those parameters is no, not everyone's gonna speak in tongues. Now, do I think the gift of tongues still exists today? I do. I'm sorry if that freaks you out a little bit, but I do. But I also think there's rules for how According to God's word, it should be used. And just like any other gift that can be abused, so can that one. People with the gift of teaching can use it to manipulate people. People with other gifts, I mean, they can use them in wrong ways in the same way. So, so no, not everyone should speak in tongues. And, and furthermore, uh, do you know what? The Bible gives no evidence that Jesus himself ever spoke in tongues. So why would we conclude that everybody has to speak in tongues to receive, have received the Spirit? It does say he was filled with the Spirit and we're all commanded to be filled with it, but it never tells us that he spoke in tongues. 
And so it's a huge leap to say that every Christian should speak in tongues. But everyone should be filled with the Spirit and everyone has received the Spirit and everyone has received at least a gift. And so for you, you know, when you get that gift, what's it for? Well, it's to build up the church. And, and, and the Spirit empowers all of these gifts. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, sometimes, and maybe you've had this experience where uh, somebody has said, well, come forward, we'll pray for you, and then you'll receive this gift of the Spirit. I'm not sure anybody has the ability to do that. I mean, we see it a couple unique times in the book of Acts, but again, those are big, unique moments where God's doing something new. But, but in this case, uh, it's the Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we can ask God for a gift and he might give it to you and he might not. And if he does, great, use it to build the church and, and for others good and for your joy. But, but don't, don't get gift envy, you know, like you gotta have that gift or you're not really a spiritual Christian. That's just not true. It's not true. Uh, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. See, the rest of chapter 12 here of Corinthians goes on to say how we're all one body and, and God uses these things to build up the body. And, and we all have gifts that we're to use and places we're to serve and be part of the body. See, if I, let's take that metaphor of the body. Let's say you have a gift, but you never use it to serve. You never get plugged in. You just kind of sit on the sidelines It'd be like walking into a bakery where everything smells fantastic, plugging your nose. You never get to smell it. And you talk like Kermit, right? Use your gift to serve for the common good. And, and it's for everyone. It's for the building up of all of us. Uh, but notice this, whatever your gift might be, Look at chapter 13 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Paul says this, but here's the deal. If I speak in tongues of men, not just tongues of men, but tongues of angels, these different gifts, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. See, if you just use your gift for you and not for the building up of everybody, you're just a noisy gong. You know, symbols are no good on their own. How many of you, you had somebody play the symbols at your wedding? Right? No, nobody does that. Why? Because symbols are really only, only worthwhile if they're part of a band. Right? They're no good on their own. Same with your gifts. They're, they're for the building up of the whole church of all of God's people. So use them to serve there. If you don't, uh, you know, you're, you're just like, you're walking around using your gift, crash, 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 boom, boom. And, and you might, let, let's say you have the gift of administration and detail and you're just, really, you're just really on top of everything. But the way you go about that is to build up yourself and not the church. Well, then when you come in, it's just like this loud gong and you're just making a lot of noise. You're like, oh, there goes the gong guy making a ruckus again, stirring up trouble. 
See, whatever gift you have, it's not for your glory, it's for Jesus' glory. And it's for others, all of our good. And it's for your joy. Because if you noticed when you serve according to your gifting, there's a lot of joy in it. There is. If you're like, I'm not sure how I'm gifted. What when you do it is just fulfilling. Chances are that's something, especially when you use it to serve the church, that, that the spirit is empowering and has gifted you with. We'll talk about that next Sunday. But uh, let's keep going. Because I'm already getting uh, long and they're gonna be throwing a riot in the nursery if I don't wrap this up. Long and short, uh, take your gift and serve somewhere. Speaking of the nursery, we need people in the nursery to help. We do. Can you help? Do you like kids and love Jesus? You can serve in kids ministry. You don't have to love kids, just like them. Love Jesus. We really do though, seriously. We need people to serve. If you can, let us know. But this gift, which uh, the Holy Spirit, God gives the Holy Spirit to empower us with uh, good news, which some will receive and others will reject. Some will receive it, some will reject. Look at verse 12. The Holy Spirit comes and they, they heard him speaking. Some, all of them were amazed and perplexed, saying to other, what does this mean? And some of them, we're gonna see later in the text in a couple of weeks that they come to faith in Jesus Christ and they receive it and they're changed. But then there's others who they just reject it and they mock it. The others mocked and like they're, these Galileans, man, they hit it hard in the morning. It's only 9 a.m. They're filled with new wine, right? They're, they're just, they're crazy. They just reject it. You know, it's the same today. When you serve, sometimes people receive it. Other times people reject it. And maybe a big question for you this morning is, will you receive it or reject it? Have you received it? If you have, then are you also being filled with the spirit using your gifts to serve? Not just indwelt sitting in the corner, but stirring it up, involved in prayer, involved in uh, reading God's word, involved in the body as a whole. Or are you rejecting that and just sitting on the sidelines? And uh, for those of you who've never trusted Christ, there's no better day than today. And it's a simple act of faith. Jesus said, I'm the door. If you come through me, you'll be saved. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes in but through me. And you can receive him just by faith. And when that happens, guess what happens? You're baptized in the spirit. The spirit dwells in you. And then as you begin that walk, the spirit empowers you with new life. So with that, let me pray. There's gonna be people available to pray with you. If you want somebody to pray with you, we're gonna respond in song and call it a morning and uh, go rescue the nursery workers. Sound good? Let me pray.